Hello and welcome to BTS Podcast. If you're listening significantly in the future, you may not realize it, but March 2020 is a wild, wild time. And so we are all staying home and being responsible, myself included, which means I've had more time to work on this podcast and y'all have more time to listen and it shows. Hopefully it is relaxing or distracting or just something healthy to have non-COVID-19 related content. Anyhow, I have been wanting to record this episode for quite some time. Philip Okanma is one of my closest friends, a near birthday twin. He is a LA County Deputy Public Defender and we talk about his work, his advice for encounters with the police if you have been accused of a crime, and his advice for you if you're in law school, and what he thinks makes a good public defender, what he thinks makes a good attorney. And yeah, we had a great time. It's really fun to release a couple podcast episodes back to back with some of my closest friends. The previous episode was with Margot Brooke, who is a actress and model and influencer and one of my good friends. Philip is an attorney. He played college basketball, which is how we met because we were roommates in college. And he is also an artist and does art events in and around LA and does a beautiful job curating them. So I highly recommend you follow him on Instagram at Luxund, L-U-X-U-N-D. He shares art and then we'll soon be sharing tips from an attorney. We talk about systemic issues in the criminal justice system and yeah, I just really, really enjoyed hearing his perspective, and I hope you do too. I am very grateful that he is a part of our criminal justice system because I really do think that he is bringing a lot of love and empathy and working on actually seeing proper justice. If you are new to listening to podcasts and trying to navigate what app is the best for listening to podcasts, I highly recommend Breaker. And here are some things I love about Breaker. One is that when you download episodes, you can skip silences. Also, you can make playlists, you can leave comments, and you can see what other podcast people follow. When you're a user, you have a profile, which means that when you follow me, you can see my playlist, you can see what I'm listening to, and then you can also see on my profile what podcasts I host and what podcasts I've been on. It's just really comprehensive and I love it. I have saved days of my life by skipping silences and listening to podcasts on faster speeds. And I hope that you like my playlist. Some of the playlists include women podcasters, which is literally exactly what it sounds like. A bunch of podcasts hosted by women, a mental health specific podcast, which is one that I try to share a lot just because I think it's really important. And these are episodes that have helped me with my mental health, futurism and economics. Some of my favorite conversations around that LGBTQ plus community strategy being a woman, 2020 election, music, sustainability, all kinds of categories. Sometimes I'm not very good at updating them. Anyways, download Breaker. I love it. It's great. If you want to support this podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash BTS podcast where you can become a monthly contributor. It is super, super helpful. This podcast takes time and thus coffee and also time away from paid work. And it just helps out a lot. As an independent podcaster, I don't get money from sponsors. So unless you contribute or unless you use one of the services that I plug, I don't get money at all. But I do get the joy of talking to really smart people and getting to share those conversations. And hopefully that helps you. There's a couple thousand listeners to this podcast and I appreciate each and every one of you. And if all of you donated a few dollars, it would be very, very, very helpful. 
you can also use some of the services that I love, which I highly recommend. Right now, Instacart is a hot ticket. With Instacart, you can get groceries delivered. I use their annual subscription. I think it's about $100 a year for free delivery. I like giving someone other than Amazon some money. And so that is one of the reasons that I use Instacart. And also I get to choose what stores I'm shopping from. So I like to choose local grocers. When I'm in LA, I choose Lassen's. When I'm in Orange County, I choose Mother's. San Francisco, I do Rainbow Co-op. And in Seattle, I do PCC. I love it and I highly recommend it. You can use LCOOK51FA to save $10 on your first order. That will be saving $10 off your order plus free delivery. Use LCOOK51FA to get your groceries delivered and save. Someday, if you're traveling, you should use Hotel Tonight. Don't travel right now if you're listening to this in March 2020. It's not safe, and unless it's absolutely, absolutely necessary, which hopefully it isn't, please don't travel. But someday, when you do again, uh, use Hotel Tonight. You can sign up now with all this time that you have at home, and then when you book a hotel someday, you'll save some money. Use LCOOK61 to save on your first Hotel Tonight booking. If you enter the promo code right when you sign up, it will eventually apply to your booking when you do it. It's a great service. I book hotels regularly with it and have saved quite a bit of money and they're just really, really helpful. They have excellent hotels at really great rates and I'm a big fan of it. Someday when you're also feeling people friendly again, you can book an in-home massage with Soothe. You can use LZ, LRZ to save on your first booking with a massage therapist through Soothe. They have a wide variety of massages. You can do a couple's massage. You can book massages for your office. It's great. But again, please don't book that until everything has cleared up over here. Since things are stressful, I, I mean, I normally try to have like a life tip or pro tip or something. But if you're staying home and looking for a way to decompress, I have two recommendations. One, I'm a big fan of the Blogilates YouTube channel. I have a playlist on my YouTube called Hotel and Apartment Friendly Workouts, and they are workouts you can do without annoying your neighbors. And then, yeah, they're just Blogilates. Cassie Ho does a great job with her workouts, and they've improved my health, my strength, and they're short, which is great. I also recommend the Scam Goddess podcast. It is hysterical. Shout out to Lacey Mosley. We don't know each other, but I wish we did. She is so funny and I just, I love a good scam. Please stay safe and I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Philip. Music on this podcast is by Benjamin Betherum. Please do find BTS Podcast across social media platforms at, at BTS The Podcast. There's also a group for guests and listeners where you can submit ideas for future episodes and ask guest questions. So a lot of times I will let followers on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram all know that there is a guest coming up and allow you to submit your questions. And then I ask those questions and I will give you credit unless you'd like to remain anonymous. Thanks again. Enjoy this episode. Bye. Today's episode is with Phil O'Conma. He is the deputy public, well, not the, he's a deputy public defender for LA County. Right. <laughs> and one of my best friends. And I am so excited to have him on today. Thanks for being on, Phil. This is so crazy. <laughs> this is really crazy, man. Like, you know, you, when you listen to a podcast, you're listening to it and you're like, oh, so they're sitting around in this nice, swanky audio filled with all the equipment and stuff and they're doing really cool stuff and then while you're sit- when you're in it and you're doing it it's like I'm just 
shooting the shit with my friend. Well, thanks. I'm glad this it feels cool. that way. I agree. Cool. That's why I do it, Phil. Yeah, this is very cool. Phil was concerned about how he looked, and then I assured him we were not doing a video because if we were doing a video, I would not look how I look right now, which is very right. bland. <laughs> so, I wouldn't say bland. Well, we don't need to know what you're going to say. It might not be flattering. Bland. You don't look bad. <laughs> you just don't look like you dressed to... Camera ready. Uh, what is camera ready? It means that I like probably would have some like lip color on. Okay. I would probably still wear a hoodie, let's be honest. Maybe, I maybe not. Probably would have done my hair. Right now it's just sort of, you know, frazzled. existing. It's is it frazzled? I feel it's like frazzled, but it's cool. Well, though. I had to I had to mush it up because I felt like it was too Marshall Mathersy looking. Just yeah. flat down. <laughs> it's nice. <laughs> it's very cool. Anyways. Um, I like it. So we're going to cover a lot today, Phil. Uh, so brace yourself. So let's talk about your job as is right now. As a deputy public defender for L.A. County, what do you do? I um, represent individuals who are um, indigent. So these are clients who can't afford. These are people who can't afford uh, attorneys on their own. They can't afford to pay a retainer, they can't afford to go out and you know pay for a lawyer to represent them in their uh, criminal proceedings. Um, currently, the cases that I cover, that I represent clients in, are, are all uh, misdemeanors. Um, so, as opposed to like felony cases. As opposed to felonies. Okay. Yes. Um, so the cases that I get, all the cases that I get are basically, they just come to me haphazardly like without any kind of like there's no it's just I can get a random case I can get any kind of misdemeanor case uh, put in front of me and I just I just handle that case I deal mm -hmm. with that case um, once it's given to me um, so I take my clients as they come to me I don't get to decide who my clients gonna be I mean a lot of times if I if a client is in for an arraignment and if a client's in for an arraignment, I don't know if I'm going to be representing that client at the arraignment stage. I'll, I'll find out sometime afterwards, usually. Mm. But how we get our cases kind of depends on the office that we're in. So at the L.A. County Public Defender's Office, um, as a misdemeanor um, deputy public defender, I'll get my cases handed to me um, by someone who's one of the, uh, the um, attorneys who are in charge of central misdemeanors okay yeah and what do you think makes someone good at your job what makes somebody good at our job um there's a lot of things there's there are, there there are some attorneys there are a lot of attorneys who are good, better at some things than they are at others and then there are some um attorneys who are better at the other things that, you know. Well, I guess maybe specifically, not just attorneys in general, but specifically public defenders. Yeah. Um, you have to, I, I'm of the opinion that you have to have perspective. Uh, you have to have perspective. You have to be understanding. You have to, I think to be good at this job, you have to be able to meet anybody wherever they're at, no mm -hmm. matter what they what their background is you have to be able to level with them no matter what 
Um, and I think the attorneys who are best at that are those who are just open people. And also, I think a lot of the attorneys who are really good at that are, are those who have who actually have had some life experience that is in one way or another similar to the clients that they're going to be representing. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that the more you can identify with uh, some of these clients, um, the more effective you can be uh, as a communicator. Yeah, definitely. Because if you've never been through the experience of um, like coming on hard times, like even the experience of not being able to afford an attorney should right. something happen, right. like that already step one, yeah. like you don't know what that's like. Right. And if you've never been arrested or been close to anyone who's been arrested, right, right. you have no idea what it's like to be pulled out of your life. Right. <clears throat> um, and then just put in these circumstances that then really can... Like, the longer you're in jail, the longer, like, your life gets more and more messed up. Right. You miss your job. You can't pay rent. Like, there's all these other things that I think a lot of people don't think through Mm -hmm. when they say, like, well, what's, you know, what's the problem? Right. A lot of times you'll have, a lot of times people will say, okay, well, this person's only facing a misdemeanor. No big deal. Like, you know, but misdemeanors can, can screw up your life just as much as a felony can. In, in a what lot ways? Of, in a lot of different ways. For one, like you were saying, on a lot of misdemeanors, you you you're you're arrested on that misdemeanor, and you are placed in, you know, you're in custody, you're put in jail, you're 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 locked up. Mm-hmm. Most, the vast majority of people who um, don't live on the streets are people who have jobs that they need to work in order to earn a living. Right. A lot of these people are people who who do not have the luxury of having paid time off or, or you know what I mean, being able to take work off. They don't have any kind of flexibility whatsoever, a lot of these people. So every day that they're in jail is a day that they're missing out on work. And a lot of these people are, are people who live paycheck to paycheck. Can you get fired for being in jail and not showing up at work? Uh, of course. I mean, in, in California, California is an at-will state. You can yeah. get fired for nothing. You yeah. can get fired just because uh, 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 you can get fired just because they don't like you, even if they don't even if they don't state that as a reason. They can fire you for whatever reason they can come mm-hmm. up with. That's 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 not illegal. Yeah. As long as they're not discriminating and they can prove that it wasn't discriminatory, they can fire you. Like you can be fired in California. Um, so you can easily be fired for missing more than a few days at work in a row. Right. You know what I mean. And when you're in custody, when you're in jail, it's not like you're gonna call your boss and say, "Hey." I'm in jail right now. Can you hold my job open until I get out of jail? Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not gonna do that. Like, no. I remember when. I mean, I remember when I actually got when I got put in jail. When I got locked up for a few days, I never made a call to my employer. I didn't call anybody. To, you know what I mean? I was just like hoping and praying that when I got out, my job was still there. Yeah. You know. Um, I was I was wondering if we were gonna I was I wanted to ask you about that but I didn't want to flat out be like you've been arrested. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. you but you know me well enough to know I've been arrested yeah. on multiple occasions. But I also wasn't <coughs> gonna add in that detail. Yeah, I should have asked you before we started recording. Like, hey, is it okay if I bring that up? Um, no, it's, it's, it's too late. Cats off the bag. I've been arrested. <laughs> and it was a black man in America has been arrested. I'm shocked. Right. 
Not in this state. Right, in right, California? Right. In California, no. Can't Im- not in Los Angeles yeah. County. But, yeah, so... Well, and, and like, as your friend watching you go through that, it was really... Like, right. it was not just feeling very helpless. Like, yeah. I knew there was nothing I could do. Right, right. Right? And, yeah. like, there's really... And the way that people... Even if people actually, because I don't recall anyone ever being like, well, you know, Phil got arrested. Like, people yeah. weren't like that. But I'm sure if, when you're the person being arrested, you worry. Yeah. Like, are, is everyone looking at me differently yeah. now knowing this about me? Right. Because right. some people will. Like, I'm not going to act like yeah. people don't. I just yeah. know that, like, in our friend group, yeah. that was not the situation. Right, right. But I'm sure you felt that whether it was there or not from other people, and maybe yeah. it was there. And, and that's, that's, a, tough. that's That is tough. But you know what's the funny thing is? That's like the least of your concern right that's usually that's like the last thing you think about is what are people going to think about when they find out I get locked up because more often than not when people are getting arrested it stems from poverty it stems from lack of funds not mm-hmm. having money to pay whatever you had to pay right right more in your case a car registration it, it, it was a car registration no no it was i was arrested I was arrested because my license was suspended. My license was suspended because of a failure to pay these these tickets, these right. these traffic tickets. Which is right. not coming from a place of you being a jerk. Right. It's coming a pl- yeah, place yeah. of you like being a right. father of two and, exactly. and in college and working a full time right. job. Exactly. <laughs> Trying to get ahead in this you know what I mean? Right. Or even just buy. Just, right, right, to, right, just right. to get by. Right, right, right. <laughs> and and they will put you the law allows for people for you to be placed in jail for these kinds of crimes. Mm-hmm. For these kinds of violations you know you can be arrested and put in jail and with with petty offenses like that it's really in the officer's discretion mm-hmm. and it's the judge's discretion so the officers had a choice they could they were like we could arrest him and take his car and put him in jail or we could just impound his car they had mm-hmm. that choice they could have been like oh we're gonna g-. they they could have given me a ticket given me a citation and said here here's a citation and we'll tow your car, have it impounded, or we can give you the citation and have your car impounded, and we can arrest you and put you in jail. They chose to go all the way. They chose to impound my car, chose to arrest me, all right? They chose to put me in jail. Doesn't that make everyone feel safer? Right, 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 right. (laughs) We are all, I'm glad they got those, those people driving with suspended license off the street. Now my kid can play outside. And you know, not even, well, and not even suspended from like driving recklessly. Yeah, Let not, not even not even reckless driving. Like the guy pulled. I mean, this officer pulled me over because he said my. He said that my. I think he said it was my, a tail light was out, right? It was either a tail light was out, or I didn't use my blinker, or mm. something really something foolish. Something just. Oh, it was just. It was crazy. And mind you, I mean, when he arrested me, you know, he gets he, he stops me. Okay, he checks my license, all right? And after he checks my license, he says, let me just step out of the car. I'm like, uh, what's the... Because at the time, I didn't. I don't think I knew my license was suspended at the time. I don't oh. think. But either way, he told me to get out of the car. And I'm on my way from work. At the time, I was working as a banker at Wells Fargo, right? Mm-hmm. And I had a suit on, suit and tie, right? And, and your car was like, I think at the time you had like a Honda Accord. It was a Honda Accord. <laughs> Good old Honda Accord. I loved that car. That was a good car, man. It's not like you were driving around like right. something that was like flashy. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't like I was driving reckless, uh, you know. And um, he pulls me out of the car. 
grabs me by like the back of my suit coat. Which I imagine visually was almost comical because also Phil is 6'9". Right. So this man was reaching up. Yeah. <laughs> reaching he, up above his own head. When he pulls me out of the car, uh, he pulls me out of the car and his partner goes, ooh, we got a big one. That's what he says. I'll never forget it. That's horrible, says, Phil. I hate that. He says, ooh, that. we got a big one. And I'm like... Jesus. You know what I mean? After he says that, he, he's like, he like forces my head against the top of the car. You know, has me put my hands behind. Like, really forceful. Like, I was some kind of threat. And it was just like, man, it was, it was, you know, it was a very traumatizing of course. moment in life. I mean, I had so many others before that, but that was like, that one was particularly egregious because... At the time, I was just, I just remember just thinking like everything that I'm doing on a day-to-day basis is to put myself in a better position in life. Like I'm doing everything Right. You weren't to... fooling around. Yeah. You weren't like partying at all. No. You were like. I was, I was literally like every single day I was just figuring out ways to get one step ahead. You know what I mean? Yeah. In, in, in so many different ways. And it was just like, this officer is treating me like, like a, like a, cold-blooded criminal like I'm just like I'm out here he's treating me like I'm out here trying to endanger society yeah you know what I mean right as a Wells Fargo banker right college student trying to like right right right. pay for his own school it was crazy you know I I mean it wasn't surprising really it wasn't surprising given you know I'm a black man in America that doesn't make it not scarring it's right it doesn't change the fact that it's it's traumatizing you know what I mean and what's crazy is this happened literally I want to say it was like two days before your birthday or the day before it was it was like a day before after my birthday it was before it was before it was right before my birthday but I remember because I was pissed I didn't hear from you because our birthdays are a day yeah and I was like serious yeah yeah nothing (laughs) but I had a good excuse okay I had on a blue jumpsuit and I was chained a very tall blue jumpsuit I couldn't fit the jumpsuit I couldn't fit it it was no, I didn't fit anything. I'm sorry, I shouldn't be laughing. It was, it was fine, you know, fine. But I couldn't fit any of that stuff. At that point in life, did you already know you wanted to be a public defender? No. But At you knew point, you wanted to go to law school. I knew I wanted to go to law school. And what's crazy about this is that this happened no more than a week, maybe two weeks, after I found out that I got into the school I wanted to get into. Oh, my God. I had just gotten into law That's school. That's right. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. Because you were, you were super happy. Right. I was so happy. I had just gotten into law school after taking the LSAT a couple times and applying to all these schools. I finally got into, like, a a decent one that I could, like, you know. Feel good about going to. Feel about, feel, yeah, feel yeah. good about paying for it. Yeah. At the, end of the day, you don't want to be paying for a school right. that you're kind of like, well, I went uh, gonna, mumbling not, the name. Right, right, right. Exactly. So, I I just gotten into law school. Man, you know, I was feeling good. I was feeling great. And then this happens and I'm like, and, and, and I didn't know what it meant for my, pro- as far as like being able to go, was I not going to be able to go to law school anymore after this? Right. Yeah. Was I not going to ever become, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, because it could have implications. Like yeah. the school could say like, oh, you have a, you know, whatever. And it you turns out it did. Know. It turns out it did. It, it, I had, you know what I mean? Because once you get convicted of a misdemeanor or any current criminal offense, you have to disclose that. When you apply, once you pass the bar exam, mm-hmm. once you apply, I think once you apply to take the bar or, or whatever. 
At the end of law school. At the end of law school, you have to submit what's called um, documents for a moral moral character application or whatever. Mm. And they need to know all of your criminal offenses, all that stuff, the, the, the circumstances, what you were charged with, all that stuff. So I have to, you know what I mean? I have to disclose that. And it didn't stop me, obviously, because here I am, but... It still is something that I had to deal with over and over again. You had to deal with that once I got into law school. I mean, even after I got into law school, I had to disclose that to the law school. Well, that and that there's no happened. transparency from the law school or from the bar board or whatever it's called that like, hey, here's the stuff we care about. Here's the stuff we don't care about. Right. Like right. It's just sort of like, well, hopefully because I wasn't yeah. embezzling money and I just right. had a right. suspended license and like whatever else. Yeah. That like it won't matter. But you just don't know because it's one of those things that obviously and with good reason. They're not right. going to say, hey, here's right. the, here's the crimes we find. Right. <laughs> right. Right. But there, there are some things that like are going to bar you, I think. I mean, fair, yeah. There are there are some things that are gonna bar you. Obviously, I mean, if you're convicted, if you were a convicted murderer, right? I, or I, I should hope anyone who is like a convicted of any sort of like con artist type thing probably shouldn't. Yeah, um, but the, what what I heard tell of, I think he was convicted of larceny, some kind of criminal offense. I can't remember what larceny means. Remind me. It's it's a form of theft. Oh, okay. I always um, get larceny and arson and arson. Yeah, because they sound yeah. same. No, arson is just burning shit up. <laughs> larceny is 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 some sort through, of through, money through some form of trickery. You are stealing. <laughs> That's kind of what you know what I mean, or something like that. Anyway, yeah. A guy who was charged with some form of theft, and he was charged with being a an accomplice to high level drug sales. Like this was a federal offense. Oh. He's a lawyer now. Well, good for him. Good for him. He made it through. But he, it was like, I think he had like a five-year waiting period before he could actually like take the bar, I think. That Something seems, like that. That seems reasonable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's still, it's like, you know, at this time, I didn't know anything. I right. don't know what. To, no, of you course know, not. I don't know anything. So I'm just like scared. I'm, I'm scared. I don't know what this means for the rest of my life. I don't know what's going to happen, you know. But anyway... I think that, in fact, I know, I know that that experience, along with a whole lot of other experiences in life, helped me in, in the field that I'm in now, in being like a public servant and actually representing indigent clients, representing people who um, have little to no means, representing people who had um, the kind of upbringing that required, you know, serious like survival skills mm -hmm. I think that everything that I've been throughout my life and how I was raised and how I lived growing up has helped me to be very you know very empathetic with the individuals that I deal with on a daily basis um, because in one way or another the people that I represent when they're charged with a crime under certain circumstances, when I see these people being charged with things and they're being chewed up by the criminal justice system, in one way or another, I see myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, so there's more of a dog in the fight. You know what I mean? Because, because I, know ex I know how it feels to be where they're at. I know how it feels to have gone through a lot of the things that they've gone through. Yeah. Um, 
And I think that that helps a lot of attorneys um, who, who have a similar story. Um, but there's a lot of things that make great attorneys. There's, I mean, I know a lot of attorneys that I work with that are just really, really smart people, very intelligent about the law. Like being intelligent about knowing the law, just knowing your stuff is going to make you a good lawyer. Like mm-hmm. you just knowing your stuff and, and studying and just learning and researching and just knowing your stuff is really, really makes you a good lawyer. And I work with a lot of people who just know their stuff. Um, also, uh, having a presence in the courtroom, like having a commanding presence in the courtroom, I think that makes a really good uh, criminal defense attorney or lawyer in general. But I think especially for someone who's in the courtroom as much as a public defender is, I think having a presence in court and being comfortable in court and being in front of people of the public. Like owning your space. Owning your space. I think that is like, that makes all of the, you know, a lot of the public defenders I know that are, that have been practicing as long as I have, who are like the younger baby public defenders like myself, the ones who I see that I'm like, oh man, he's really good at this or good at, you know, a lot of them who are really good in the courtroom, they, they have a presence in the courtroom mm-hmm. and they're comfortable delivering whatever message they want to deliver to the jury. Well, because if you're not comfortable also, it's it's very difficult to think on your feet mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're not comfortable. Right, right. It is. Because you have this added layer of sort of right. like... Uh, I don't know, I guess like chatter in your head. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not comfortable, it's the same with anything, right? Like that's why we don't do well with confrontation in -hmm. general. Right, right. (laughs) When we're not comfortable. Right. Because there's that like, oh, but am I like, where do I stand? And how do, like, there's all these questions we're asking ourselves. And if you can eliminate that Mm -hmm. and go in and feel like, okay, I know what I'm talking about because I've prepared. So like preparation, Mm -hmm. I'm sure is huge. Um, Preparation is 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 paramount yeah preparation is paramount and i'm working on my preparation i'm not the best at preparation because i have i have the habit of just going like you know what i mean like i have this bad habit of just like same wanting to do it and i just do it yeah because i'm I'm an impatient person so i just i just go a -hmm. lot of times but i'm learning more and more like how important preparation is i know how important it is but it's one thing to know something and actually like put it into practice as far as what you're doing on a day. Yeah, I feel like I'm getting getting better at preparation, but I'm learning how important preparation is in there. And that's another thing that makes a really good attorney is an attorney whose preparation game is really up there. Like I know some really good attorneys who their preparation is just top notch. Like they go through every little step necessary to be as prepared as they can be. But that being said, in this kind of field, in this in this game, if you want to call it a game, it's not a game, but it's kind of, you know. He's putting it in air quotes for listeners who can't see. Right, right, air quotes. <laughs> in this game, uh, trial, jury trials, you can, pro- you can prepare, 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 prepare. And you it, every single jury trial for, for a defense attorney, there's always going to be something that you did not think of, that you did not prepare for or something that comes at you that you have to just be able to think on your feet. Mm-hmm. You have to just deal with on the fly. That's gonna happen every single jury trial. So I think even more than being prepared is being able to think on your feet and being able to be flexible enough. Being nimble. Being nimble. Yeah. Being nimble. I think, yeah. I think that's like, that's so key in jury trial because 
There's so much that happens. And there are so many factors that play in to a jury trial. Like something the judge does, the way a judge rules on something, Mm. the way a witness testifies about this, or the way this officer testifies about that, or whether or not this witness actually makes it in the court, or whether or not, you know, this person, this witness not coming in the court actually hurts, you know, it it hurts your ability to make the arguments that you were going to make because it really depended on some testimony that you were going to get from this person. And now this person's not coming in. So now you have to think of a whole new theory. You know what I mean? There's all kinds of stuff that happens in jury trial that you have no control over. Mm. There's so many things that are going to happen that you you can't guarantee this person's going to be here. You can't guarantee this person's going to testify favorably in this way. You can't guarantee that the witness that you put up is going to listen to everything that you've gone over with them as no matter how much you prepare them you can't guarantee there's there's no guarantees in jury trial so being nimble is is very important and being able to kind of like make up the difference in court is is paramount and for me i think the more i do it the you know the more i learn and the better i get and also the more i look at other attorneys like there's so many other attorneys that I look at, and I'm like, oh, yeah, do that, do that, or do that. Like, just learning, you know what I mean? So, you are being the public defender, but then on the other side, there are, are they called public prosecutors? What are they called? Just prosecutors? Uh, prosecutors, yeah, they're called prosecutors. So, there's two entities at the local level that that prosecute misdemeanors. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the district attorney. Your district attorney... Uh, prosecutes misdemeanors, but usually the city attorneys prosecute misdemeanors um, and, you know, municipal codes and, you know, minor offenses like those. And are Um, those prosecutors, are there ever people that go from being a public defender to a prosecutor and vice versa? Does that ever happen? That happens sometimes. That doesn't happen a whole lot, but that does happen sometimes. I know someone who was a public defender and became a district attorney and why this, does someone do that like why well because a lot of times the district attorney's office as history would have it offers to them it offers them some kind of a opening into the world of politics in a way mm. like if they, a lot of times like let's say if you want to become a judge there are far more judges who were former prosecutors than there were who were defense attorneys or public defenders. Interesting. Okay, so more often than not, when when the public is voting for a judge, um, a lot of times they'll go for the person who who was a former prosecutor. Which makes, which is awful when you think about it. Yeah, it is because... Yeah, I, I have so much to say about that because it, I, I think that's one of the many problems with the criminal justice system is that the vast majority of the, the bench officers, judges, are people who, who were prosecutors for decades and decades. Mm-hmm. When you have been a prosecutor for that long, you are thinking with one perspective. You can't help it. It's not yeah. bad, but that's just the way that you're thinking. And there's no way that you can have that job and sleep at night if you see the humanity in the people that you're prosecuting. You said it. <laughs> I mean, I didn't say it. You said it. Okay. I mean, I think that. I, I think that. In mind you, there are a lot of judges who are who are really fair, great judges 
who were prosecutors for a very long time, mm-hmm. right? And then on the flip side, you have some pros- some judges who were who were defense attorneys, and mm-hmm. they're awful judges, terrible, just god awful judges. There are some I've you know I've seen it. I've I've seen some, you know what I mean, that are not the fairest judges. You know what I mean, and you would think that you've seen it from the ground up, like you know. Right. What these people are going through and how could you be this kind of judge but that i mean that just it, it really depends it varies from judge to judge person to person i imagine that also has a lot to do with like you know if you're a public defender and you really believe in some clients and your heart's in it and then you find out they were lying right, right. like some people emotionally will go like never again right, right. and draw that line versus yeah. going like okay well that's yeah. you've put me in a terrible situation that's really like i put right. my career on the not career right. but you know like integrity and stuff on the line Mm -hmm. every time so i can see why people sort of can land in that direction i just and i think it's also fascinating from like the voters perspective and i understand why it happens because how do you it's easier to say hey i'm great at my job because look at all these criminals i'm keeping off the street Mm -hmm. than it is to say i'm great at my job because i'm look at all the people i'm giving second chances to like improve their lives right right hopefully you know, recidivism rates go in another direction. Right, right. Like that's really your only, I don't mean, I don't even know what kind of stat you could look at to say this public defender is really good at their job, mm-hmm. right? Because you're sort of in a, between a rock and a hard place right. where your success, you can only be, the success thing is weird on both ends, right? Mm-hmm. Like for prosecutors. How do you quantify success? Yeah. yeah. Like, and it's, it's really unfortunate also that there's sort of, this dichotomy of like winning and losing mm-hmm. because I don't you know it's certainly not proving to be healthy for society or the people who are being put into jail and then not mm-hmm. given job options that are legitimate when they come out of jail like not given housing up or like all these things that don't happen for you mm-hmm. when you come out of jail after a while mm-hmm. um, unless you have friends and family which like if you had really supportive friends and family probably wouldn't have ended up in jail right, right. <laughs> so like it's that is really, really, and it's, I'm very interested to see different ways that um, communities start solving these problems on like a global scale, mm-hmm. because there has to be a better way. Mm-hmm. And I think some sort of like Scandinavian countries might have a better approach mm-hmm. than we do. But right now it's, um, our entire country, it feels like treats everything as like, there are good people and there are bad right, people and right. don't really see the complexity right, in right, things, which right. is and fascinating. That is, that is, I think that's a problem. I mean, I think that lack of perspective and that, that narrow way of thinking is one of the problems with a lot of people who are prosecutors. Well, and jury members. Like and, jur- across and jury the board. members. Like, yeah, and jury members, yes, because... You know, people are, they think in, they think based on what they've experienced, right? And a lot of people don't have the kind of experiences that our clients have. Yeah. They, they're from different worlds. They yeah. don't have. They haven't had the same kind of adversities in life. They haven't had the kind of adversities. They have not, they don't, they, they don't know, um, all of the little day-to-day struggles that some of these clients have to deal with, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, that, that have actually 
kind of led to our clients being in whatever situation they were in right. that brought them into this this, yeah. this thing, right? Um, and then you have a lot of people who don't, they don't know how to solve the problem outside of just punishing. You know what I mean? Right. They yeah. don't they don't know how to solve the problem outside of just punishing. I mean, there's a lot of different programs that are offered by the by, by the prosecution's office. There's a lot of different, you know, there are a lot of different things that our clients have the ability to take advantage of that don't include jail, right? Mhm. And in in that and that's great, but it's there's there are so many other issues that have to do with the root of the problem that are not really being um, that are not being sufficiently looked at. I don't think. Like, for instance, a lot of like I was saying earlier, a lot of the crime, a lot of the offenses that I'm representing clients on have have only to do with poverty, mm -hmm. right? Only to do with the um, only to do with the lack of education opportunities mm -hmm. have only to do with um, like can you give examples of some of these crimes because I think that's also right um, so for instance we have I'll use I'll use um, prostitution as a uh, as an example I've mm -hmm. had clients who have been arrested for, for solicitation of prostitution Right, um, and you mean wait, soliciting prostitutes or solicit? No, solicitation of prostitution, which basically means um, sex they, workers. They are yeah, sex workers. These are individuals who are looking for an opportunity through sex to make money. Right, right. These are prostitutes who are you know whatever loitering. They can say they're loitering for the purposes of committing prostitution, or soliciting prostitution when when they when when they have evidence that a prostitute asked um, whatever right an undercover person um, do you want to have some fun tonight or you know what I mean how much money do you have whatever they can say that's solicitation mm -hmm. anyway those kind of crimes more way more often than not have nothing to do with anything but poverty right and these 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 "Quote unquote," air quotes, crimes are all committed in poverty-stricken areas. Mm -hmm. Like I've a lot of the clients that I've had who've been charged with these crimes. These are clients. These are individuals who live in um, South LA, like the Figueroa Corridor. That's what they call it, the Figueroa Corridor. Mm -hmm. You know, anywhere from, you know. 60th in Figueroa to right. like a hundred and whatever yeah. of, of Figueroa. That that you know what I mean? That whole section. That that whole that whole section. That's a poor area. Mm -hmm. It's a very poor area. Yeah. Right? Um changing quickly, but yes, historically very poor area. Yeah, historically very yeah, it's changing quickly. It's being gentrified, but it's a historically poor area, and that's where a lot of the prostitution mm -hmm. um comes from. These are individuals who grow up and I had a client who you know, she had a conversation with me, and I was just like, "Man, it was." 
she told me, you know, I want to change and I want to stop doing this, but like every time I try to put myself in a place where I don't have to do this anymore, I get hit by something else and I got to pay these court fees and I got to pay this and I got to keep coming to court and I keep, you know what I mean? I, I don't have the money to pay it, so it just makes me want to get right back out there and just make more money because I don't have any other way to make the money. And, you know, what am I supposed to do when everybody I know, um, all the people that I looked up to were prostitutes. Like, my sister was a prostitute. My mom was a prostitute. My mom and my sister still are prostitutes. Like, what am I supposed to do, you know? Yeah, um, which is fair. Which is fair. And, and another thing is, like, you know, I think the idea of a woman... I think the idea of a woman or a man selling his or her body for money with another consenting adult, while it may not be the best life choice, and I don't personally agree that anybody should sell their body or be buying people's bodies or be buying people's bodies for money, but if you have two consenting adults who want to make this transaction two adults neither one of those adults should be criminalized for it i don't think Mm -hmm. i don't think that that should be i don't think they should be criminalized i mean what social ill is it really solving right 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 right. what is it what is it solving like because because clearly it's not it's not stopping people it's not stopping people from from doing doing it it. it's just putting these people in jail and giving them court fines and giving them court fines is not helping anyone it's not putting anybody in a better position like there should be efforts there should be efforts made to create opportunities in the exact same location where they're making these kinds of arrests. Yeah. They should make more opportunities for them so they can say, Okay, oh there's another option. I could do that. Right. Instead of this. Let me do that. Cause believe you me, a lot of these a lot of these people don't most of them and I've talked to them. This is not something that they it's not fun for them it's not like they're like oh i can't wait to go out here and meet some stranger and and, and, and subject myself and to subject like possible my, you know I mean? like, like assault and yeah they're not you know what i mean this is not some kind of like they're getting a kick out of this this is survival yeah it's pure survival absolutely your job is like very heavy and you're exposed you know to people who are going through a hard time which as an empathetic person is hard to see people going through Mm -hmm. and then you're exposed to juries and prosecutors who try to make those people well the jury won't but like the prosecutors will try to make that person look in such a terrible light Mm -hmm. your job's tough like how do you decompress and like stop and like what do you do to not bring that home with you you know what i don't know i'm still figuring that out um, I I kind of shift my focus to different projects, so I give my energy to a lot of different, you know, other things. Mm-hmm. Like what? Um, art, um, just creative endeavors. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to give... You put on really good art shows. Yeah, I try to. I'm trying to do better. You do. I I'm say selfishly to. as I had three pieces <laughs> in the last one. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Um, I'm like, no, they're great. They're perfect. Someone come and buy my art, right. for God's sake, please. <laughs> Anybody. Um, I. You play um, basketball? I do play basketball. And you play in like a league or something, right? I play in a few, a few leagues, yeah. Um, I play in this, there's a lawyer's league that I play in. Do there's, you feel like that's helped your career, playing in the lawyer's league? 
Um, I can't say. I don't think it. I think. I mean. I think it has helped. It's helped me to just be around a lot of attorneys mm-hmm. and kind of get a little bit of knowledge from them. Because before I got into law school, I never. I didn't even know a lawyer. I didn't. Yeah. I don't have any family members who are lawyers. I don't have any family members who. I don't even have any family members who know lawyers. Right. I am the only lawyer in my family that exists, or I'm the only person in my family that has any kind of like connection to the legal community. Mm-hmm. So it was good. To, it's good. That was a good opportunity for me to just get out and just like speak and network with other lawyers in the kind of setting that I'm comfortable with, which is basketball. Do you think that that it also made the career seem more like approachable and like humanized it a little bit more and made it feel like less because I think sometimes when you want something yeah that feels so far away and you're like I know for me I've sort of put things that I want on a pedestal and Mm -hmm. gone like oh those special people who get to do xyz Mm -hmm. and then you're around them and you're like oh yeah just normal people yeah yeah and for you you're like who I'm better at sports than. Right, 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 right. I'm way better at basketball than most, if not all of the lawyers that I know. Well, that's and I'll great. say that on record. And there's not a lawyer that I know that can, that can dispute what I just said. There's not any. That is a fact. But I do know some lawyers that are pretty good at basketball, actually. That's good. Actually, who's, who's really good? That I, he's actually an alternate public defender. My boy, Eric. Shout out to Eric. He's an, he's an alternate public defender. Are there women basketball leagues for lawyers? The Lawyers League here in L.A. It's co-ed? Is, yeah, women oh, can play in it, too. Yeah, oh, yeah that's it's co-ed. It's not, there's not that many women that play in it, but there's, women oh. can play in it, too. There's some women on a lot of the teams. That's great. That yeah. makes me happy to hear. I mm-hmm. was like, damn, that's really hard if you have to have a whole separate league yeah, for women. Yeah, I was trying to put, I'm putting together a team, too. I'm putting together a team for the next season for the Lando Lawyer League so I can win the whole thing. Oh. I'm trying to win the whole thing. <laughs> And I was trying to find some females to play in it, but I didn't, I haven't, I don't have any yet, but I don't know any yet who, who are willing to play. But if I find any female, if you know of any female. If I know any women attorneys, attorneys who, play basketball, who play basketball, I'll let you know. Sadly, please. you and then Jenica and my friend Kristen and like one of my cousins are like the only people I know that are attorneys. I don't yeah. know any, like I know zero. Right, right. And one of my cousins, he's like, I mean, I guess he's not as freshly an attorney, but yeah. he, if I remember correctly, he must have been his early 30s when he decided to go to law school. Because uh-huh. I think he saved for a while and then he went to Ann Arbor and now he works for the district attorney in Orange County. But before you becoming a lawyer, he was the only person I knew. Yeah. So I don't know any. And no one in my family, I think. I, I'm sure yeah. my parents have like an attorney for like their will, right? Like you need, yeah. you need one for like that. Yeah. That's, a, that's like. Like for when you die. Yeah. Or maybe that's like an estate planner. I don't know. That is, that's, you know, an estate planner or, yeah, same thing. It can be an estate planner, but you usually want a lawyer to be the person to, to, you know, look at the will and make sure everything that you want in that will is is there. Between, so you went to law school. Mm -hmm. You worked full time all through law school, if I remember correctly. Maybe all but one semester, I think. Or did you work? The whole time. I worked pretty much full time throughout all of law school, and it was in different ways. Like, but how did you, how did you get a job after law school? Like, what happens? Do you just go apply for jobs like a normal person? Yeah, you do a lot of stuff like a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> you, you walk like a normal person. <laughs> you put your pants on like a normal person. 
You eat like a normal person. Fuck. Okay. But I'm serious. You do a lot of normal people. You're going stuff. to apply for jobs. Like I can't imagine just because like my job doesn't require me having like having yeah. these accreditations. So, so like yeah. what so happens? What, it, what um well through law school you um You do internships. You do right? internships or externships. So you work with whoever you're working for while you're in law school and that hopefully the idea is that for that to lead to a job eventually. I did a lot of internships throughout law school. Like I did a lot of, and all of it was like free. Like I didn't get paid while I was in law school. Really? For like, there was one office that I worked for. It was a, was it? It was a PI firm. Mm. It was um, the one in Santa Clarita. No, 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 not that one. Okay. Oh yeah, I did work for them too. That yeah. Um, what was his name? I can't remember his name. Was it Rivers? No, not Rivers. No, it was the. Um, he my, did wills and trusts. Wasn't it my and, friend's dad or something? My friend's stepdad. Yeah, yeah. it was. Uh, I forget his name. I forget also. Nice guy, but I worked there for like a month and a half or something like that, mm-hmm. and that was that was cool. But it was bankruptcy. That's right. It was bankruptcy. They did oh, bankruptcy. Interesting. Not fun for me. No. Definitely not fun for me. But I'm glad I had that experience because one of the things I learned throughout law school was like it's important to get as much experience in different fields as you possibly can. Because it's just important to know what you don't want to do as it is to know what you do want to do. I stress that a lot on you know this I mean? podcast and in general, that yeah. it's very important to know what you don't want to do. Yeah, in v- fact, maybe more important. Maybe more important because it, it saves you time. Yeah. It saves you so much time. And it really helps you narrow your focus really and go like, to, yeah. okay, this is not, like for me, I know there's certain types of office environments that mm-hmm. like if I'm right. going to ever go back to a full-time job that I can't right. deal with. Right. And that there's other things that some people don't like that I'm like, no, that works out great for me. So I guess my question is like, what? In fact, from bridging the gap between law school and working as an attorney, what was some advice? What's some advice that you have for people who might be in that position right now? I would say that you want to get as much experience as you can in different fields, if if you can. It's hard to get an internship and an externship while you're in law school because you have so many time constraints, right? Mm-hmm. You only have so much time to, to dedicate to whatever organization, right? And also, there's this you got to make money. It's kind of tough to find a place that's going to pay you decent money while you're in law school that's not going to take up a whole lot of your time. So, there's that. But I would urge everybody to not be afraid of doing stuff for free while you're in law school. Like, do as many internships as externships as, as you can while you're in law school because, number one, it's going to help you narrow your focus by figuring out exactly what you don't like. Because where you're gonna, no matter how many, where you work, you're gonna find out things about certain fields that you don't like. And you'll be able to say to yourself, okay, I don't wanna do that with my career, right? And then there's also just the networking aspect of it. You wanna get out in front of as many people as you can, meet as many people as you can, work for as many people as you can while you're in law school. And then over time, you will start to learn what you are geared toward, what you like, mm-hmm. what what about you, you know what I mean? What is it? What it is that you want to do with? Yeah, your like what lights you up? Yeah, what lights you up? Yeah, what lights you up? What revs your engine? Like what? You know what I mean? Did you know going into law school that you wanted to be a public defender and like do that no. type of? Okay. I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. I just didn't know exactly what because there's so many different fields in law that you could practice in. You know what I mean? So many. There's civil. There's criminal. And, and, and you're doing civil right I'm now. I'm doing. No, I'm oh, criminal. you're doing criminal. criminal. This is criminal. Okay. Yeah. So I'm. This is criminal defense. That's what I. That's what I do. When I was in law school, I thought maybe I would want to go into like business law. Yeah, I thought perhaps I'd want to go into business law and do just 
a lot of things as far as corporate goes. I, I worked at several different places. Like I worked at small firms here, or I, I would intern here or intern there. Um, I I interned at like I interned at LAUSD. Mm. Um, That's cool. In different, yeah, and they have different LAUSD, the school district. Their legal counsel, their 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 um, legal counsel office actually has like several different components in it, so you can get a kind of a flavor, a different kind of. That's law really cool. There, and that was cool. I worked at Ivan. I I, I externed um, at a PI firm, like I told you. I I I also worked at a that bankruptcy firm. Mm-hmm. I worked, there were a bunch of other places that I worked at, but I also started clerking for a judge while I was in law school. I started clerking for a judge in the criminal court. And that is what led me through a lot of different ways. It led me to the job that I have now because that judge, Judge Ron Rose, I clerked for him and then he retired while I was clerking for him. He, He retired and he was kind enough to actually kind of like hand me off to another judge. So I had the opportunity to clerk for a whole nother judge. Oh, that's great. Who's Judge Mitchell, Judge Craig Mitchell, who's an incredible human being. And one of, you know, I, he's always been a mentor. I mean, both of them have always been kind of been mentors to me. Like Ron, Ron Rose was a great mentor to me. And it's very funny how I got that internship, that externship. My mother, a long time ago, we were on welfare a long time ago and Judge Ronald Rose was a public defender for a very long time, for like 25 years at least. At the time he was a public defender, he represented my mom and he helped her out with her case because they were trying to claim that she was committed fraud with welfare or something like that. But he helped her, he helped her in her case. So she was absolved of all of that. But somehow my mom had the presence of mind. She still remembered him and somehow still had his contact information while I was in law school. And she told me to like contact him. Your mom is so great. My mom's an, she's an amazing human. And I contacted him and he just doors open, let me clerk for him, taught me a lot, let me sit in the courtroom and watch all the le- all the proceedings in court. Philip, that's so beautiful. It was, it was amazing, yeah. And then when he retired, he handed me to Judge Judge Mitchell, who's and this was years ago while I was in law school. This was like it this was years ago. Um, I mean, not that many years ago. Not it was like, that many it was years like ago. four or five years ago. Four or five years ago, but it <laughs> seems like so much has happened. So much has happened. So much has happened. But Craig Mitchell, you know, he's been a mentor. He's been a he's been a great friend. Like he's just an amazing human being. He's a runner. He runs marathons all over the world. Did you just run the marathon with him? I just ran the marathon with with him and the group that that we run with. He he started an organization like a running club called the Midnight Mission Runners. Mm. Um, and these are individuals, the vast majority of the members of this running club were formerly homeless or former drug addicts or, or, or are in recovery. That's beautiful. And he provides them, this club provides them opportunities to, to go to different countries and run marathons in all these different countries. That's so cool. Yeah, and, and before I met him, I, I didn't like running. All I did was play basketball. Like, I was just- No, you that, never ran. Ever. I never ran, ever. Like, I was never, I just didn't see the point of running. In fact, I remember when you met him, because I remember out of nowhere, you were like, oh yeah, what did you do? I think you ran like a half marathon or something. I ran a marathon. The first thing I did, I you ran- You met him and then ran some insane distance and yeah. you were like, yeah, just for me being a lot of pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this club has provided like all these opportunities for these people. 
And Craig, Craig Mitchell has been very helpful in helping me grow as an attorney and just kind of grow as a person, to be honest. Like, mm-hmm. he's a great, great mentor. He's, he's an awesome person that I'm glad I have in my life because he's, he has been like kind of a, um, I don't know, he, he's been kind of a godsend in a lot of ways because he, he's kind of helped open doors for me in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. But he's also helped me to kind of like navigate things in a way that I don't know if I would have had I not met him. Yeah. People opening up those pathways of different ways of framing things right. and, and communicating right. are like just so yeah. helpful to me. Right. Because you don't, I mean, you don't know what you don't know. So right. Until you've had that sort right. of communication style right. demonstrated for you. Right. It's really hard to like... Right. Make that on your own. Right, right. You don't know what you don't know. He actually has a, a documentary that has, you know, he's gotten a lot of like critical acclaim. Like it's it's a great great documentary, and it's I think the documentary is called the Mid- Midnight Runners. Oh, cool. But it 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 covers you know it covers like a couple of the group's trips to different places, like oh going to Rome. Mm-hmm. Going to, I think, uh, Ghana, uh, running marathons in those countries and stuff like that, and talking about some of the recovery of some of the people who are part of the group. Um, and he's gone like all over the United States, speaking at different places about the documentary. And it's been in a, it's been in a couple theaters. It's been at different like film festivals and mm-hmm. stuff like that. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, Craig Mitchell's been very kind of like, he's been like instrumental. So. Long story short, clerking with those judges basically led to other clerkships in different offices. I clerked in the public defender's office multiple times. And before I even knew anything about anything, I, I was just trying to get as much court experience as I could. could. So I, at one point, I clerked at the, DA, DA, the DA's office mm-hmm. trying to get as much, you know, just experience because people were saying, like, you got to get in-court experience. You got to be able to, like, you got to get in-court experience to be able to get these jobs after law school. So... At the time, the DA's office was the only office allowing students to be able to speak on record oh. and make arguments on record. And they just recently opened it up so that clerks in the public defender's office can argue on record. That's great. Okay, but at the time, you couldn't do that at the public defender's office. At the public defender's office, you couldn't make any arguments on record if you weren't actually a lawyer. So at the DA's office, was the only place that you could make like arguments on record. I remember... A mentor t- telling me or asking me what do you want to do do you want to be in the DA's office or do you want to be in the public defender's office and right away I said you know I want to be I want to be a public defender and this was but this was years before I actually became a public defender mm-hmm. at the time I was just like man I want to be a public defender because I I identify with with that like that's yeah. that's 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 who I am and that's speaking for the voiceless is something that I would be more equipped to do as opposed to being an instrument of punishment. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? If you, so here's something that I didn't think about until just now. With the attitude that you have, don't you think that you might also then make a good prosecutor because you might not go in as hard on people? Yeah, I think so too. I, I, I think so, I think, I think so because one thing that I'm noticing about a lot of prosecutors is that they don't have compassion. There's no compassion really. It's really like you'll talk to a prosecutor and a lot of times it's just like they'll look at a police report and they'll 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 look at the police report as if every single word in that police report 
<laughs> is, is, was written by Jesus. Right. You know what I mean? They will act as if that police report is the Bible. As if police aren't also humans. Right. As if, as if this police report, these are the facts. This is exactly what happened. No wiggle room in their minds. Like, none. And on top of all of that, they'll look at the person's history and say, oh, they've been convicted of this and this, 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 and this. So what happens is it comes down to just numbers. You're just looking at a number. You're looking at a... This isn't even a person anymore. This is just right. like a number at this yeah. point. And you're just saying, well, they have this, 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 and this. So they don't qualify for, for that. Like, there's no room for compassion. Mm-hmm. There's no room for compassion. And that's sad because... Well, it's heartbreaking. Because it is, that's somebody's life that you're... It is sad, but it, 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 it takes away... And I, I feel kind of sorry for some prosecutors because I feel like the office itself takes away their ability to have some compassion mm-hmm. right because their job is to win yeah they're yeah and i'm putting that in, you know right their job quotes. is to, their job is to get convictions which is their job is to get convictions their job is to punish you yeah. know what i mean and I, I think that when you have so many people who are facing these kinds of criminal offenses it's easy to get bogged down when you're dealing with case after case after case after case right so you're going to you're going to you're going to adopt the kind of practice that makes it as easy on you as it possibly right. can be as efficient as possible as efficient it's about yeah. and that's what the criminal justice system is about when it comes down to the nitty gritty when it comes down to it every person inside of the courtroom not I don't think every person but a lot of the people inside of the courtroom their main objective is efficiency well yeah because they it, also just want to go home just let's let's get let's get this <laughs> off Let's get this off my calendar. Let's get this off my calendar. Let's, right. let's get this going. Let's get this going. And I understand because, you know, for this system to work in the best way, you know, we have to handle as many matters as we can. But what I think is that it requires, I think there needs to be some, there has to be balance. And I think that there has the, to be more complexity. There has to be more complexity, but I think that there has to be balance. And I think that's a lot. I think that's where my role comes in is giving balance. Because I'll be in the courtroom and I, everybody in that courtroom will know that I don't care how, how, how bad you want to go home. I will sit here all day until, I don't care, I'll sit here all day. I don't care if you're, if you're in a rush, Your Honor. I don't care if you're in a rush. I need to talk to my client so that I know that he understands all of this stuff. So that I know that we're doing the best that we can for this client. I don't mm-hmm. care how fast you want to get done with this. And therefore also... It's not just this client, but like by doing right by a human being, right? You're also doing right Let's by not like forget that we're everyone's with positions in their in their job, right? Like that's also like it's just respectful not only to the people in that courtroom mm-hmm. that you're doing the right thing, but also from like a community perspective, right? You're all there to serve the public, right? All of us, we're all here to serve the public. And I think a lot of people forget that. Like, Well, it's very hard to remember a macro perspective when it's like your daily life. That's right. hard. Like it yeah. takes a certain presence of mind. True. And true. I think, you know, a lot of people, and fair enough, have their own lives and like spouses and whatever else and mm-hmm. things that they want to do after work or whatever right. it may be. But when that's your job, like if that's where you're at and 
and you're sort of like, well, let's get in, get out and move on, then like yeah. maybe find a different position in the court, you know, right. like right. perhaps look at going into private practice, you know, like yeah. find something else to be doing because you're not at that point, you're not serving the public. Right. And there's so many men. I mean, there are a lot of people that I work with that have the same, that feel the same way I do about a lot of this stuff. And it's, a lot of the public defenders that I know, they're, you know, they, they feel the same way I do, but it's, it's um, but we all, we all have a job to do, right? We all have to do this job. We all have, to, we do have to do it in an efficient manner, but there was always this, this conflict between being efficient and actually doing the best job we can for our client. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I hate that it is expected a lot of times for us to give up one for the other. Right. I don't like that. It upsets me. It really upsets me that people find it acceptable that I have to give up quality representation for efficiency. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that bothers me. Uh, well, thank goodness. It really it should bo- me. it should bother everybody. Yeah, it is what it is. But I think that just having the presence of mind of just saying like, I want to do the best that I can for each and every one of my clients. It may take a little bit longer, you know for me to do this extra thing. But at the end of the day, I want to be able to say that I did the best that I could today. You have to take it, you got to take it one day at a time in this, this kind of job. Like do, in this career, doing this kind of work, you have to take it day by day. It's, I mean, even as early on as it is in my career, I, I really see that over time, if you don't decompartmentalize, if you don't or compartmentalize. Or I'm sorry, if you don't compartmentalize, then you can get like really worn out. Absolutely. I'm going to ask you a question that's not really about your job. And it's mm-hmm. more so because I know this is something that you speak on anyhow and that you're working on like a potential like video series about. Yes. What are some of your so what are some of your recommendations for people out there who don't know much about the law? Mm-hmm. Who like what are some basics right. people should know? Um, here's a here's a few basic things. Um, I'll narrow it to one thing. Just to if you don't take anything from me, take this. Is related to the law in the in criminal when it comes to criminal law. You know, if you find yourself in a situation where you are facing criminal charges or whatever, or you're about to get arrested, or you've already been arrested, whatever. You have to really understand, really understand this. Police officers are not your friend. There is no person with a badge who wants to look out for your best interest. If you are a person who's been accused of a crime, if you're a person being accused of a crime, at that point, you need to, you need to behave under the premise that no police officer wishes you any good, none whatsoever. And that's not to say that all cops are bad. That's not to say that all police officers are evil, but it is not their job to get you out of trouble once you've been accused. Mm -hmm. Once you've been accused, once somebody's called the police on you, or once you've been pulled over, the, the time for any kind of compassion that's out the window. You gotta. You just have to imagine that that is no. That, is, that it's it's over with. 
So everything that an officer says to you or asks you, you have to realize that that question or whatever they're talking to you about after they've already assumed that you've committed a crime, it is to put you deeper in the hole. Mm -hmm. It's not to your benefit. It is not to your benefit. I see, and it's so, I mean, it's crazy, but I see it all the time. Officers will talk to a person who they're about to arrest, who's already in handcuffs, or who's just standing, or, you know, they start questioning them, and they'll talk to them in a way that that assumes that they're, you know, the officer's the good guy, and they just want to make sure everything's okay, and nothing from this conversation is going to really get you in trouble, just, you know, you have to assume that this person wants you to say something that's going to waylay you. You have to assume that everything that they're asking you is in order to make their job of putting you in jail justified. They want to justify their arrest, so everything that you say is going to help justify that arrest. And there's nothing they're going to ask It literally you. can and will be held against right, right, you. Right, right, like right. It just right, right. will be. It, it will be. Not can. It will be held against you. So when they read your read, read your rights, yeah, you've heard it a thousand times. Everything you say can and will be held against you. That can't be more true. And they'll say it really fast just to get the words out so they can say they read you your rights. But you need to realize how important that part is. Everything that comes out of your mouth will be, will, without a doubt, be used against you. So, so you just recommend not speaking? Don't talk to them. Don't talk to an officer. If an officer pulls if you... If you're being arrested. If you're being if arrested. If you're being pulled over arrested. If you're being arrested, don't talk to the officer. Don't don't talk to the officer. Say, I, I'm sorry, I've been... Say to them, and you don't even have to have an attorney at this point, but tell the officer, I've been advised by my attorney that I should not speak to officers. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be rude, but I've been advised that I should not talk to attorneys. If you have any... You say officers. I'm sorry. I'll be, yeah, I've been advised that I should not speak to officers. If you have any further questions, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to talk to my attorney. Say that. Say you're gonna have to talk to my attorney. I'm sorry, I can't answer any of your questions. I'm sure it's a harmless question, whatever it is, but I can't answer any of your questions. You're gonna have to talk to my attorney. And just leave it at that. And here's another thing you need to realize. You don't have to do anything that an officer tells you to do other than putting your hands up. You don't have to tell them anything. You don't have to let them search anything. If a cop asks you, if a cop asks you, do you mind? If they start any question off with, do you mind? You say, yes, I mind. You say it loud and clear. Yes, I mind. Yes, I mind. You don't have my permission. No, you may not. Yes, I mind. You cannot. You do not have my permission. You say it loud and clear. Because in this day and age, the beauty of a lot of these stops, these frisks, right, these, these detentions, the beauty of it is these officers have body cams on. LAPD, more often than not, when they pull you over, right, when they arrest you, when they detain you, they have a body cam. So everything that you say to them, you can hear it through their body cam. So they can't say you didn't say something. They can't say that you did say something if you didn't, right? So I think those are some of the most important things I can give you as far as criminal law goes. Like, do not speak to an officer at all unless 
it's some kind of pleasantry. If the offer, if the officer says hello, you can say hello, whatever. Yeah, you don't. Hi. Need, I mean, because it's also not going to benefit people to be like overtly rude. Right, right, right. Exactly. Don't Especially be over- if you're a person right, of color. Right, right. Exactly. Don't be overt, overtly rude. Don't give them any reason. Because what they'll do is they'll make a mountain out of a molehill. If you were a little bit rude, that if you were just a little bit rude, if, if you just said something that they didn't like, they will write in their police report that you were being extremely combative, that you were resisting. They will make up whatever. I've seen it done. I'm not saying all cops do this, but I've seen some officers just flat out lie in their police report. Flat out lie on mul- on things that doesn't even make sense to lie about. They'll just There's a lot of times that they'll just lie. So, number one, you don't have to speak to cops. You don't have to talk to them. Number two, they ask you if they can search something. You don't give them permission. You don't say it's okay. Because what they'll try to say is, what they'll try to make you feel as though you not letting them search it is criminal in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with not giving an officer permission. Mm-hmm. That's why they have to ask permission anyway. Well, and as recently uh, seen by Orange County Sheriff's Department, mm-hmm. it's also opening up the opportunity for wrongdoing on the officer's part. Right. So, I mean, certainly I'm not of the mindset that, like, that is true for all cops. Like, you know, um, I was going to say I have friends who are cops. I have one friend that that I know is a cop. But, like, you are opening yourself up to that. And that is, and and misconstrued things. Like, I, I know a good friend of mine that I grew up with. He, I think he, like forgot that he'd been whatever doing something he had a knife in his car mm-hmm. so he didn't think there was gonna be a problem with having the car searched right. it turned into a whole thing he ended up going to jail for months right for having you right. know whatever like a deadly weapon or whatever right 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 because you could have something in the car that you don't even know is in the car right like i think about like my my dad is a chef mm-hmm. right like if he were to get pulled over and they found butcher knives in right. his car it could be totally misconstrued. Right, well, right. luckily he's a white man, but right, like, right, right, it right. could still be right. definitely. So um, additionally, and here's a problem that I've heard of, is like people going to jail because we all have cell phones. They don't know anybody's phone number. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> nobody, rem- nobody remembers anybody's phone number. The only person's number you memorize is your mother's. That's the only person's right. number. Right. And if I got arrested, I would certainly not call my mom, right. I'll be honest. Right, right, right. I'd have... Yeah. Your number memorized for this reason. <laughs> right. I don't know getting number. arrested, but... Yeah. But well, if you do, you know who you could call. Right. You and Chris, those right. are the two people right. that, I, that I know I can call. So we're going to switch a little bit and talk about your personal life. So throughout all this, mm-hmm. law school, I almost said pre-law school, but that's just college. Yeah. College, law school, and an attorney. You have two kids mm-hmm. who are great. I yeah. can't believe they're as old as they are. They're teenagers now, which is wild. It is um, crazy. And I would venture to say, as a first-hand witness, that you're a good dad. Oh, that's <laughs> that's one of the best compliments I could ever receive in life. Is that I'm a good dad, <laughs> which like, says honestly. a lot about you. That that means a lot to you. It makes it you does. also it's, a good dad. It is. It, it does because yeah. What? I mean, that's hard because you had kids as a teenager. Yeah, my kids were born when I was. They were born. When I was 20. Okay. So your kids as a... I mean, that's hard for me even now. Yeah. Like, I remember at 19, I was like, 20-year-olds are adults. Right. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, they're babies. Right. So throughout that... And, and you moved back to California to be close to your kids, right? Right, right. So because he was going to school in Jacksonville. How do you show up for your kids and like... Well, actually, different question. What has changed about your parenting since going to law school? 
Mm. Like, and has your job changed the way you parent your sons? Uh, my I don't think my job has changed the way I parent my son, but I think my parenting has changed since I've gotten out of law school. Mm-hmm. Just well, also they're older now. So yeah, also they're older, but I think the fact that they're older. I mean, there's a lot of things that play into my parenting, but I think my mother. My sisters have a lot to do with how I parent my kids, you know, mm-hmm. because they're around my kids almost as much as I am. You know what I mean? I mean, they're and they're they're my mother and my sisters. They're they've always basically been my support system. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, the advice that they give me and how they what they observe kind of affects how I feel about my parenting. Yeah. So if they feel like I'm too harsh on them or if they feel like I don't spend enough time or if I don't talk to them enough, even though it might be annoying at the time because I'm so busy, it still resonates. Like yeah. if my mom feel if my mom says something to me, it affects me. If my mother tells me, Philip, you need to you really need to sit down with Reese and talk to him more because this, that, whatever. Even though at the at the time when she says it, I'm just like, man, I'm doing Cause I'm doing so much, you know yeah. what I mean? I'm doing so much and it's just hard to like do everything and actually like just breathe, but. And to have two kids, not just one, they're twins. Two, twins. And it's tough, but listening to them, I mean, listening to my mother tell me certain things about how a parent my sons, it always resonates. And I, and I do make a conscious effort to like make whatever change I think should be made as far as how I'm parenting my kids. So I think. A lot of it has changed because of my mom, but I think that since before law school and then after law school and now that I'm practicing law, it's changed just with the quality of the time I spend with them. Mm-hmm. Because um, you're not in school anymore. Like you I'm, yeah, I'm not in school anymore, but also, I mean, there's so much that has happened throughout their lives, like between, you know, me and their mom and just there was a long time where like it was you know i've always been in my kids lives since birth since always always been in their lives but early on because me and their mother were never together and she lives like far from where i live the time that i spent with them was so small i would have them right. just like just just every other weekend and it would be like a day and a half that i'd have them or like two days tops or whatever you know and it was just like maybe two weekends out of the month a lot of times. And so I had to make all that time count. Mm-hmm. On top of the fact that I don't, I mean, early on, it's not like I had any money. I didn't have anything. I didn't have any money. It's not like I had, like, a lot to give them. But my mother, since the beginning, she's always been super supportive. Sisters, every, you know, I've had a lot of support. So it's, it's they've helped make it possible. But as far as the time that I'd spend with them, it was just, like, under the premise of, okay, I got to survive. I just got to, like, make it. And at the because well, yeah, you were so stressed out for so long. So, uh, yeah, my whole life was just pure survival up until very, very recently. Like the maybe the last two years. I've last seen two you years. like take a breath. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just, just up until the last two years, my entire life has been pure. And how old are you now? I'm, I'll be 35 in May. Yeah, just uh, for listeners, for context. Like, yeah. His whole life is not 24 years. That's... Right, right. <laughs> so up until 33, everything that I did in life, every, everything was strictly survival. I mean, even when I was playing basketball in college, everything was just 
under this premise of just keeping the scholarship like keep well and we had this conversation recently where we were talking about uh sports and stuff where Mm -hmm. i was saying that i think because i've calmed down and i'm not running off like a frantic sort of fight or flight mode anymore that i've actually gotten a lot better at learning and with sports and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and you were saying the same that you feel like you're a better basketball player now yeah oh yeah we're in college because you can finally breathe and like see things differently and not be so stressed out right and it's not like i mean in college when i was in college and boarding school i I mean mind you i'm playing with like some of the best talent in the country like when i was in jacksonville i'm playing division one basketball i'm playing against like really good players like you, you know prep school i'm playing with like a lot of the people i'm playing with are like top 100 high school or prep school ball players in the nation you know i'm playing with like top notch players like it's the 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 competition was very very stiff but i was always always playing with this misguided belief that if i didn't make it in basketball i wouldn't make it in life and i don't know precisely why i believe that well you do know why I mean, I do, but at the time, I didn't. It's also what society tells yeah, you. Yeah, but at the time, you're not thinking about, oh, this is what society's telling well, no. you, but it's just like, it's just what child. you, yeah. it's just your conscience. It's just what you think. Yeah. So, I, so it puts a lot, the, the pressure and the stakes yeah, are the much pressure. higher. The stakes are so high, and the pressure that I put on myself on top of the pressure that was already on me, and mind you, I mean, I'm poor. I was, I've always been, my entire life, I've been, I've been poor, right? Boarding school. I went to boarding school because of basketball. I got into boarding school for free because of basketball. I went to college for free because of basketball. I, I didn't have money to pay for any of this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, did you take out loans for law school? I did. Oh yeah. yeah. I took a, oh yes. Oh, did I? <laughs> <laughs> did I? But, but thankfully, I didn't have to take out any loans for college. Yeah. Like college. Like it was free because of basketball. But anyway, everything surrounding, everything in my life was just about survival. So when I, the, that's how I approached basketball was just kind of like survival. And I don't think it's healthy to approach something that you love with that kind of mentality, with just survival. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's truly not healthy to approach anything in life except for actual survival. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. That's Unless all you're like running the only from thing, something. Right. The only thing you should approach with survival instincts is survival itself. You should yeah. not approach something like a career a or career, a potential career. Right. Because it, it, it forces you to do things that you would not otherwise do outside of survival. Yeah. And it forces you to think in a way that's kind of like animalistic. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's the way I looked at basketball. So I put an enormous amount of pressure on me and to, for, for, to, to, to excel at the game. For listeners who may not have caught what I was saying earlier about when Phil said that that was all he felt like would get him out of survival mode was being good at basketball. Mm-hmm. My like comment about knowing why he felt that way is because that is the message that is sent to young right. black men. No, no, is that sure. like be good at sports 100%. or music. Right, right. And it's not just the media because, I mean, there was, I remember how hurtful and just like shitty it was. The, there was somebody that stopped you once and asked you if you played basketball. Yeah. And you told them you were in law school. Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's hap- that happens almost every week now. I mean, now But now that I particular say, person said, yeah. what a waste or yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like, oh man, you should have played basketball. It's just like, 
And, and here you are trying to be a public defender. Yeah, like, literally serve the public. Right. And this person has already decided that based on you being a tall, athletic exactly. black man, that, like, you would actually be right. better serving the public. Right, right. On television I, for his entertainment. Right, how am I better serving you by, well, by playing... Maybe, maybe him in particular. You might be. Maybe, <laughs> right? I mean, this, this actually happened the other day. I was in court, and this woman was like... Thought you were Paul George? I get that a lot too. But <laughs> I get that a lot. But big fan of your work. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a big fan of his. Somebody at the TSA let fill through once and just shook his hand and said he was a big fan. Of oh his yeah, work. that was crazy. I was like, thanks, man, and I just kept took my bag and kept going. <laughs> we don't. We still don't know this day if he thought don't... he was Paul George or Andre 3000. I don't know what he thought. He couldn't have thought I was Andre 3000. 3,000. I mean, I met Andre 3,000 once, and he's like five, He's like a seven. foot shorter than you are. Yeah. yeah. This guy looked me in the square in the eye and says, hey, man, I'm a big fan of your work. And I kept going. I said, all right. I, oh, I don't... man. At the time, you were like a clerk. Yeah. I was like a clerk. Maybe he was in court one day. Maybe. I don't Maybe. <laughs> Doubtful. Anyways, Doubtful. have you talked to your kids about how to deal with the law? I have. Okay. I have. Can I'll you share that conversation? If you don't want to, that's okay. No, that's fine. I basically told them what I stated before, but a lot. How old were they? This was like three years ago. Okay. So they were so what? 14. They were, a, no, maybe it was like two years ago. It was like two years ago. I basically told them like, listen, you know, you need to realize that you are two black kids. Okay. It's not fair, but when, when an officer sees you or when a cop sees you, when you do something that's not good or you get into some kind of trouble, you are going to pay more of a consequence than anybody else is. Or even suspected of some kind of trouble, or even, even if, if you've you, done if you, nothing. Yeah, even if you've done nothing. You cannot afford to do anything dumb because of the color of your skin. You can't afford, you have your, your margin for error is a lot smaller. Mm -hmm. You have a more narrow margin for error than anybody else does based on the color of your skin. That's mm -hmm. just a fact. And I remember having this conversation with them, like, this was, a, this was a couple years ago. They were fighting with each other. And I think one of them threw something at the other. I forgot what he threw. In public or in the house? It was at the house. It was mm -hmm. at the house. He threw something at them and it hit them. It wasn't that big of a deal, but I took it as an opportunity to teach them, like, listen. When you turn 18, if you do the, the exact same act, an officer can arrest you in even charge. Even at 15. They don't even care. At 15, yeah, even at 15. Even at 15. Even yeah, at 15. It even matter. at 15. Yeah, it doesn't even matter. Because also... Uh, Black kids are regularly seen as older right. no, 100%, 100%. Than, than what they actually are. Right, right. So I'm telling them, you know, if you were to do this in public, right, and let's say you didn't throw something at your brother, let's say you threw it at somebody else. Yeah. People right? will see you as a threat. People will see you as a threat, okay? You can and will be arrested, and you will be charged with a criminal offense, be it a, a misdemeanor or a felony. If they if they if they if they find that you are you meet the if they find that they can charge you as an adult they will mm -hmm. okay you can't afford to to act out of based on emotion like if you're somebody makes you mad you can't react out of anger yeah you can't do that I and I would tell them like I know firsthand because yes. I used to react out of anger <laughs> okay yes. I had a horrible temper when I was your age uh huh and, I would tell and them, older and old and older okay. <laughs> And I told them, I said, listen, you cannot afford to, to act, act based off of emotion because 
It's too dangerous. It's too dangerous in every every decision you make, every act mm. can be the very act that changes the course of your life for the worse. You know what I mean? And I told them that in in a you know in a little bit more s- simple terms, but I try to have that conversation with them more often now that they're getting older and they're understanding a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But I would tell them, I would also tell them, you know, you have each other. A lot of kids don't have like a twin brother. I didn't have a brother growing up. I didn't have anybody that I could. I didn't have any male. You know, I didn't have that. But I had friends, but I didn't have any. I didn't have a brother at your age. I didn't have anybody around to like, to kind of like be able to like watch my back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When you have their twin brother, like you have a built-in best friend basically. Mm-hmm. You got somebody who's like can look after. You know, you guys are there to protect each other. So it's imperative that you guys are not at each other's throats. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't you you can't be that. You can't be that and at the same time you have to hold each other accountable. Like I would tell them like if you see I'll tell Ryan, like if you see Reese doing something stupid, you snatch him. You snatch him up. You get him out of there and you say, Listen, you shouldn't be doing that. And vice versa, I'll tell Reese, you know, your because this all comes down to how you are perceived in public. Yeah. I know you as my sons. I know you guys are wonderful kids. Yeah, and they are. And they are. They're great kids. Yeah, they're very sweet. Like, they have yeah. very good hearts. Yeah, they do. They do. In the public, nobody cares about that. Yeah. They don't care. They don't care what kind of kid you are at home. An officer, if they see that you've committed, if they see that you've done something that they can write down in their book as this code violation, yeah. they're going to do it. Yeah. They're gonna, they don't care what kind of kid you are. They don't care how nice you are to your parents. They don't care. They see a black kid who... Who meet the criteria for a violation? So, let's go. Let's go arrest this kid immediately. Mm-hmm. Okay. Even if they don't have any evidence of it, even if, if somebody told them that somebody who looked like you committed a crime, yeah. they're arresting you. Do you remember that time that Boone got pulled over on his bike and they searched him no. on his? Oh yeah. Yeah, on his way to the train station. Right. So for listeners, uh, Phil's teammate and I. Yeah. Dated in college. He was biking to the train station because mm-hmm. he worked in Thousand Oaks and would take the train every right, weekend to go to right. work for three days. Right. And what was he working at? Was he working at he the... He was at the, working at the group home. At the group home. That's yeah. Right. And he was on his way and a cop pulled him over, insisted on searching him. He said, look, I'm going to be, I'm going to miss my train and be like, like miss work. If, right. You know, if you do this. So like, if you, you know, can you give me a ride or whatever? Right. The officer basically was like, yeah, if you didn't. He, he accused him of, like, robbing a Domino's or something ridiculous on a bicycle. What? In P.S., like, Placentia. Yeah. Like, not, I mean, sir, yeah, it was, and then he did Those not Those Orange County cops are awful. Ugh, they're terrible. They're absolutely They horrible. are so bad. Man, they're, like. Brutal. I've never, never had a decent encounter myself. I've never even heard of anyone having a positive encounter. No. Not once. They're horrible. Yeah. And 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 that's even white people saying that. That's how you know they're really bad. All the white people I know never have anything positive to say about Orange County police. Yeah. There's always some crazy. I'm like, what? Yeah. They're wild. Yeah. They're they're especially bad. Yeah. And that, that to me was just, I mean... Because I'd never really, I think that was the first time that one of my friends who was not committing a crime, like, had an encounter with an mm-hmm. officer. Like, any of my other friends up until that point who had encounters with officers, they mm-hmm. were actually also doing something wrong. So right. it, it's hard for me, especially because, you know, you're, as a teenager, 
there was not as much like awareness at least in media about black people being treated as differently right like a lot of the media was more like blaming the victim for right. sure right and then and i would hear some of my friends like tell stories but then a lot of times it was like yeah but you were also drinking in public right as a 15 year old right, right? so right. like right and so and i'm white you yeah. know for listeners who may not know if you hadn't, if you hadn't, uh, why would anyone guess right, that? Right, Is it right, my right. voice? I can't imagine why. Yeah, if you haven't figured <laughs> that out yet, she's white. <laughs> As the driven snow. <laughs> but yeah, it was the first time that I was like, wow, yes, like I was livid. I was like, did you get his? And of course, at, of course, at that age too, I was like nineteen. I didn't understand why he didn't get his like yeah. officer information or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, now in retrospect, and even six months later in retrospect, I was like, oh, of course he was scared for his life. Of right. course he's not getting the officer's right. details to like, no. oh, but yeah, that was right. wildly upsetting. So I've asked you, I think, all the questions that I have. Is there any other information that you feel like is important to impart before I ask you the last question? Um, I think, I want to make it clear that, you know, the criminal justice system I find is flawed for sure, right? And it's, it's, it's flawed for a lot of different reasons. And one of those reasons being the lack of compassion, the lack of perspective on, on the parts of a lot of the individuals within that system, be it some prosecutors, be it some judges, be it some defense attorneys, even some defense attorneys, even, some, you know what I mean? The lack of compassion, or maybe a lot of people get burnt out, a lot of people, because there it is flawed. Um, and then you have police officers who, a lot of these officers are not out to do a good job. A lot of them are just out there to just do a job but that's not all of them you know what i mean there's some there's some there are some officers out there who are great people and want to do a good job and want to do the right thing all the time and there are a lot of great judges there are a lot, you know what i mean there's good and bad there's there's a good there's a good side and a bad side to every facet of every system right but what i find is that no matter what i can't control be it how this person behaves, be, be it how this officer does his job or doesn't do his job, whatever. I find that if I, if I hold myself accountable to do the best that I can every single day, if I find that I'm doing what I can to improve and always wanting to, like, to learn and just do the best that I can every single day, given the constraints that I'm under, I can look myself in the face, I can look myself in the mirror and just say, all right, I'm fulfilling my purpose. I say that to say that you cannot control everything. You can't control everything. There's most things you can't. What you can control is your your commitment to, to being the best at what you do, being the best at what you do on a day to day. And that's what I'm just, that's what I'm trying to do. Philip, that's beautiful. Now I wish I didn't have one more question. <laughs> Please, what's <laughs> What's, <laughs> you're an idiot. What's the next Me? question? No, you're oh. not. I just like to say that sometimes. What? Oh, well, the last question I ask everyone is what is something that you would want to hear a future episode of this podcast about? Since I talk to people about the behind the scenes of what they do. Yeah. Or just any subject. So it could be like how something's made, how a job is done, uh -huh. whatever. Right. I'd like to talk about a little bit about um, social media, like the content of social media and what you're consuming on a day-to-day. -day. 
like what people are consuming through social media like and how you think it can go from here because social media is saturated right Mm -hmm. it's really saturated but there's still good content there's so much good stuff right Mm -hmm. And it's hard to swim through all of that stuff. It's hard not to get bogged down by all of it, right? I'd like to see or hear a way for people to navigate that and also insight as to what people think is going to come next. Like, not necessarily after Instagram, but what are some alternatives to being able to see this content outside of Instagram? You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So do you mean like somebody who specializes in like, well, I guess in that particular situation, it would be somebody who is sort of like both a trend forecaster, but also has a deep knowledge of algorithms and like internet culture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for instance, like let's say from a creative standpoint, let's say for yourself or whoever, like they want to put out content, they want to, um, create these 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 informational videos right you're talking about your own videos that's really your question let's say let's say mine but (laughs) but i'm really curious as as to what is a better is there a better way because let's say you want to put it out on instagram like there's so many what you know it's gonna it's accessible right you can go on instagram and say this is where you go to find it blah 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 but are there other platforms that you can that you can um provide this content mm. outside of like YouTube and Instagram and Facebook where a person's not as likely to be distracted by everything else in that whole world. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because it's like, it's, I don't know, I think about this all the time. Like I compare Instagram to a gargantuan magazine stand. Mm. When I was a kid, not even a kid, all my life, up until yeah. I was like 20-something, I would I looked at magazines all, like magazines, like fashion magazines, like GQ, like Complex, like, hell, Vogue, yeah. Slam, mag- like all, Slam magazines. I've looked, at, I've loved magazines since I was young. My Same. mother used to com- collect magazines, right? And whenever I'd get a new magazine or get come across a new magazine, I would just I would just live in that magazine page to page, look at every ad like it was, you know what I mean? It was special. Yeah, agreed. But having Instagram is the equivalent of being able to have every single magazine. Yeah. At the tip of your fingers like that. It's a bit like being I mean, do you remember how wild it used to be? Like the magazine section at like the height of magazines mm-hmm. when you would go to like a Borders or a Tower Records. Yeah. And then you're there and you're like, wow, there's so many options. So many of the ones right up front are trash. Let right. me like dig deeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because yeah. I don't want to read. I'm trying to think. There was like, like a National Tiger Inquirer. or something. Or yeah, some of yeah, that yeah, nonsense. Yeah, yeah. And then you're like, oh, wow, there's like Interview Magazine. There's Purple. Yeah. There's like Juxtapose. There's mm-hmm. all these really great magazines yeah. behind, you know, Food and Wine and Town and Country. Yeah. And like <laughs> Seventeen <laughs> Magazine and yeah. Cosmo and like whatever. Yeah. I don't even know the male equivalent of like a Cosmo, but you're yeah. like, oh, yeah. there's all this like better content. 
let me like where's a more curated thing and i feel like tumblr sort of used to be that where tumblr had a lot of good stuff on it yeah but then there was a lot of pockets missed and yeah well, what is tumblr now is tumblr still I mean, that tumblr still exists but they closed i know down. it still exists but you can't put there's no ns yeah yeah, they, they, there. yeah yeah there's they cut out the not safe for work right. which i think then sort of made tumblr i mean it didn't really affect my tumblr feed but like right. I feel like it definitely affected the temperature of Tumblr where people were just less excited about it because mm. people felt like it was because it was censored, like because then right. it became censored. So even yeah. if you weren't there for that content, people sort of as a I'm not even going to say knee jerk, but as like a fair reaction were like, hey, that's not cool that you're changing the guidelines on this platform that used to be very free. Mm. So, yeah, and I think, you know, I think that that sort of thing changes all the time, right? Because we are, the way we engage with the internet changes the internet. So all of us are always changing and driving mm. that all the time. Mm. And as one platform blows up in one community, there's another platform that blows up in a different one, right? Like I think about the different friends that I had that first had Instagram versus like the rest that came on six years later. Mm. And Right, like I hear about people our age still using Snapchat, which is wild to me because I haven't been on it in ages. However, I see the appeal of TikTok. Yeah, what? I don't even know anything about TikTok. It's like, is it worth oh, like five Philip, seconds? This is what aging is. Yeah, I guess this is what it is. <laughs> but I, I've been aging for a long time then because I didn't really well, understand Snapchat that much we, either. We've all been aging our entire lives, yeah. if it's any consolation. But what is TikTok? Like, how long? Is it like very short you videos? Know, I, it, so it's fairly short. I don't know the exact time frame. We can watch some of the videos after we're done recording. Okay. They are really fun. There's some great ones out there. I will say it is like... It's, it's very cool to see what people do with it, and it's very cool to see. I find that, like, Gen Z is a lot of times so much purer than our generation. Like, they're not as worried about looking cool. Mm. Whereas I feel like at, when mm. we were that same age, we wanted to represent ourselves in a very polished, like, specific way mm. on the Internet. And I've found that, like, the generation younger than us, and even, like, I'm in the Big Brother, Big Sister, like, you know, program or whatever. Mm -hmm. And my little sister in that program is just so much chiller about stuff than I mm -hmm. ever was. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because there's not this sense of like mm -hmm. personal brand quite in the same mm -hmm. way that there are for some people. And then on the flip side, of course, you have kids that same age who are like, I want to be a professional YouTuber. So, right. right, like a generation is always going to have its like opposites in it. Like there's people in right. of our age right. group that are right. total opposites right. of how we are. But I do find it really fascinating just like the way, and like that's what they're doing with their friends, which I think is like fun. Mm -hmm. I don't see a problem with that, that they're spending like three hours learning a dance choreography to like make a video together. I'm like, whatever, they're dancing together. That's fun. I was doing the same, like I was just learning that stuff in my room by myself or like mm -hmm. getting my friends to like learn whatever, like the latest music video that had just come out we would like practice it together mm -hmm. in our room so yeah i don't know and i think that and i am trying to think about who to even talk to about something like that right both specific and broad yeah it's just like me <laughs> well thank you for being on should people find your luxend account yeah um yeah just luxund l-u-x-u-n-d yeah find it on instagram yeah it's on instagram um there's gonna be there's a lot of content coming about uh, law correct yeah stuff about law um and art and and art 
um, events are are coming soon. I think the next. Well, this is, won't come out for a while, but or yeah. maybe I'll do it soon. Who knows? Okay, okay, yeah, okay. but definitely follow Luxend. Yeah. Um, and I really appreciate you being on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of BTS Podcast. Again, if you would like to support this podcast with either an ongoing or one-time donation, please go to anchor.fm slash BTS Podcast, and you can do that. Or just Venmo me some money. Who could say no? I'm just at Lene-Cook on Venmo or just Lene Cook on Cash App. You don't have to, but if you feel like it, your contribution to my caffeine fund would be very helpful. Follow BTS Podcast across platforms at, at BTS the Podcast. I have this podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and then there's also a Facebook group. And please do follow Philip. He is at Luxund. You can see what he's up to. He shares great art. It sounds like he'll be sharing some legal advice in the near future. And I'm just really glad that he is a part of the system in LA County in the best way possible. Like I appreciate his perspective and his approach. And I think we're all very lucky to have him in the criminal justice system. Music on this podcast is by Benjamin Betherum. Thank you so much, Ben. You can find Ben. He is a great sound designer at soundcloud.com slash Thanks for listening. Please subscribe. If you're using Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. It is really, really helpful. Right now, this podcast is ranked around like 200, I think it's at like 250 four in the careers podcast episode and it'd be so rad to be in the top 200 so that would be lovely if you're on other platforms please follow that's also very very helpful because then you will listen to future episodes and as always have a lovely day